You are listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today I have a very special guest, a Miss Melissa Ortiz. Melissa is joining us from the great state of California, and uh, Melissa, welcome. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Uh, You're very welcome. Uh, Looking forward to it. Melissa works in the employee engagement space, and this is a topic that I think is uh, very popular um, and certainly uh, pertinent in today's crazy, crazy employment world. So many businesses are reporting difficulties with finding and retaining employment, employees, I should say. And uh, she's going to talk to us uh, about that whole arena. So, Melissa, let's just start. Tell us a little bit more about exactly what it is you do with business. Okay, so I probably should start with my values. Uh, So I absolutely hate to see waste. I hate wasted time, energy, and talent. And unfortunately, half of the companies and the employees that I do business with, half their employees are ready to quit their jobs or they already have, but they forgot to tell their bosses. So um, my business at Activate Human Capital Group is to figure out which employee teams are on board, motivated and enthusiastic about their jobs and which ones kind of have a foot out the door and what do we do about that? So um, I kind of, I would say I probably can put numbers around the more intangible elements of business. And that really has a lot of value because we're good at managing invoices. We're good at managing inventory turns. We're really good at the numbers game. But when it's intangible, whether it's talent and fit to role, um, team performance or engagement, that's kind of my sweet spot is putting something around that that we can measure and manage over time to know how we're doing. And really, it has a huge impact on the turnover, the performance of the organization, and really what it feels like to work in that culture. Well, you said something in the middle of that that is one of my pet peeves. It's the uh, employee that quits and stays. Retired on active duty? Retired on active duty. (laughs) I like that. Uh, That is such a big challenge. You know, what strikes me also about what you said is that a lot of client companies I can think of spend a lot of time, energy, and effort on the hiring front end thinking they've found a good fit but they don't really follow up on that very well. They, you know, they may have the classic annual performance review, but that's the first time they're really delving into uh, what that person is doing for them. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's interesting. So that specific issue is one of the things that led me from my core business of employee engagement to take on a partnership with Predictive Index in their talent-based hiring tools that also have tools for onboarding and managing people based on their natural talents. Because one of the things we know unequivocally in the employee engagement space is if you get the right person in the right role that fits and honors their talents, employee engagement issues effectively go away. There might be things we need to talk about over time, but performance issues dissipate and disappear. And so does engagement issues because that fit to role is so critical. And so that's, you know, whether we feel like we have the right fit, most of the time is flipping a coin. And what we're doing is hiring in our own image. And the annual performance reviews are really at, you know, this blip on the radar that don't, they're either recency or the thing you did really poorly six months ago. Right. So this employee engagement element is 
kind of a 360 for a manager that gives them an idea of what's going on on my team. What are the hot buttons I need to address? And we, my perception is that we should be doing this as kind of a bottom up and a top down. So the top down look is the executive looking at de- by department, by location, really hot buttons across the organization we need to be talking about. But the team level, they have their own issues and their own interpretations of what's going on. And so the way our engagement survey, every item on our survey is validated to performance. So I know if a manager works on an item and they improve, we're going to see an improvement in their performance. But the items, it's a little crafty. We can't diagnose completely every employee issue. It'd be a 300-item survey that no one would take. So ours is 21 items. That's a conversation starter. Where should we start talking? What do we need? Is it about expectations? Do we need to be talking about resources? Sometimes the resource I need is expectations, right? So that's that's where those kind of overlap in, in my experience. Where do you usually kind of enter a business? Who's usually reaching out to you the first time? Unfortunately, it's HR um, because they usually get tasked with the task. (laughs) It's, you know, it's hard because I think HR is supposed to be this all things to all people. And And what I've seen is HR has taken on two different roles in our economy today. You've got two, you've got comp and benefits and compliance And then you've got strategic human capital people. And I don't see typically those people living in one body very often. We, in the best case scenario, we have a tactical HR leader and a human capital HR leader and they're paired up and they're rocking it. But often what I see in clients is they have one or the other. And what's really frustrating is when the tactical leader gets tasked with employee engagement, they check the box. They'll do a a survey monkey. They'll do, you know, they're, they're doing the work, but when a human capital leader gets it, gets connected to it, I had a gal that I worked with at Waste Management when I was at Gallup, and she got it. She was the director of employee engagement. They, you know, one of the Gallup items on their engagement survey that people laugh about is, I have a best friend at work. Well, actually, that has a huge connection to safety, because if I've got a best friend at work, I'm not going to let her, you know, walk out across the floor without a hard hat. I'm going to be watching her back. I'm going to be picking up... Um, items that are that are in the way that could cause safety issues where if I'm not as connected to my team and my workplace, then that won't happen. And so they went so far as to have shirts printed up. I have a best friend at work. Like it was kind of a joke, but it's, it's that you don't hear me until you're mocking me, right? That it, I haven't really gotten through about the importance of these elements. And she just really owned it. And that's the difference I see in these human capital leaders versus people who are completing the task of employee engagement. Yeah, I like that. I also like what you said about that sort of that predictive hiring process to to find the right fit. I know Collins in his work on Good to Great talked about getting the right people on the bus. Um, in the right know, seats, right? You can't look overlook the in the right seats because you might have, right I mean, seat. I have a principal I've worked with that did not do well as a principal. And she, I think, didn't succeed in her two or three of her first roles in leadership. And then she got to the County Office of Education and she was this resource for all our school districts and she's just thriving. And it's just finding that right fit for your talents to really be able to thrive versus, you know, when we see people that are even high performers in role that aren't a natural fit for that role, the amount of um, energy it takes them every day to just show up and be who they're supposed to be is so taxing on their overall well-being that it's not sustainable. Yeah. 
And, you know, in the small business arena, there's a, there's a big uh, wave, I call it, that is, is hitting small business. The uh, EOS, the mm-hmm. Entrepreneur's Operating System, Gino Wickman's book, Traction. In that book, you know, they, they encourage owners to think first about the functions they need in their organization, not the people. Think first about, if you think about each seat on the org chart, you know, what function do you need delivered? What value does that box need to present and, and deliver to the company? Then you back into the kind of person you want to hire, what skills, abilities, and, and talents might they need to fill that, to optimize that hiring process. And again, talking about the small business owner, you don't hire your brother-in-law unless they're a very specific fit for one of those boxes. Yes, yes. And it's it that really is the right way to figure out what do I need here? You know, it, the classic example is, you know, outside sales versus inside sales. Those are different personality traits that fit those roles naturally. You need somebody who's assertive in the outside sales. You need someone who's more collaborative in inside sales. If you're calling me because you want something, I need to be a good listener, not hey, you know, I, I hear that first three seconds of intro and now I know what I need to sell you. That's not effective in inside sales. And, you know, it's the difference between a pediatrician and a surgeon. You want surgeon to be very detail-oriented, not so, you know, very aggressive and determined versus the pediatrician needs to be there to listen. They need to be likable and extroverted. And so when we define what what success looks like in those roles, it's so much easier to say, this is my ideal candidate profile, and then we can compare what's your profile compared to that, what's the overlay. Right, right. So you just whispered through a, a key word in your, your experience and history. You talked about being part of Gallup. Tell us more yes. about that. Oh, honestly, I'd probably be there today if I didn't have two bad managers. <laughs> part of my uh, reason for just continually uh pursuing this space of employee engagement. So I was actually at grad school at Texas A&M and I audited a marketing class with Professor Paul Bush, who's like the Johnny Appleseed of the Strengths Finder assessment. And I should have been a psych major undergrad because I'm so fascinated with what makes people tick. And when I took the Strengths Finder, I had probably taken a hundred other personality assessments. And the Strengths Finder was so different because it spoke so specifically to what made me tick like my number one strength is activator, which activate human capital group comes from my number one strength activator. Like activator, my favorite words in the English language are how about now? And we could do that right now. So my whole life, I've been told you're impatient. And when StrengthsFinder paints that in a way that that can be productively applied, it was like the star, the skies, the clouds parted and the sun started to shine. I was like, whoa, this is a different language. And so there are 34 themes of strength. And I was just about to graduate with my MBA. And I said, you know what? I'm going to work for Gallup. And I started reading about what they're doing around behavioral economics and the granddaddy of employee engagement. I'm like, I have to go to work there. So I applied and they turned me down and said, we don't hire MBAs. You want too much money. And I said, wait, 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 time out. I really want this job. (laughs) (laughs) And so they said, oh God, okay, fine. We'll put you back in the hiring pool. So I got a job in their San Francisco office, worked there for a while and then transferred to their Houston office. And it was such a great experience. The people are amazing, first off, um, but their science around selection, talent-based selection, around employee and customer engagement. There's a great book called Human Sigma about the interplay between employee and customer engagement. Um, and I just learned so much there. And at the time, they really were focused on 
Fortune 500 companies, they only wanted a million dollar statements of work. Otherwise, we didn't have anything to talk about. But I was so bought into the science that it felt like a crime to me not to be working with smaller organizations because a small organization can turn on a dime. These huge bohemists we were having a war working with waste management, with Wells Fargo, um, Acura Toyota. And it's really hard to turn those because there's so many layers of corporate gobbledygook. And you get a you know, 100-person organization, that's a good-sized group, but we can make massive strides in engagement. And so that's really where I then, I took um, one of their lead engagement researchers with me when I left, one of their lead customer engagement researchers with me and another consultant. And it's just been such a fun ride since then. And that was 2011 that I left. And I probably would still be there today if it hadn't been for one manager who kind of soured me on the organization. I talk about managers as the window through which employees see the organization and they really can change what employees see of the organization based on that interpretation. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the longstanding old HR phrase is people join companies and they quit. And managers. leave managers. Yeah. Yes. So, so true. So, so very true. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, it's hard to believe we're already up on kind of a break point here. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. This program is sponsored by Headway Executive Coaching, your source for leadership development and team leading effectiveness. For more information, visit headwayexec.com. Well, hello, everyone. We're back, and I am visiting with Miss Melissa Ortiz. She is a uh, human capital expert, and uh, we, when we took the break, we were talking a little bit about applying the Gallup principles with um, strengths finder and such to smaller business. So Melissa, p- pick up on that and uh, tell us a little bit about how you've kind of gone into that smaller business market and uh, done for them what typically is only reserved for the big companies. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I think about business and since my whole world is about the intangibles, right? The vast majority of business problems really are people problems. And as we help leaders understand, you know, so much of it, whether it's Strengths Finder or Predictive Index or DISC, those are probably my three favorite tools in that space. When we understand what makes people tick, it's so much easier to forgive them their trespasses against us, right? Now, <laughs> my husband has one of his strengths is communication. And my number one strength is commu- is activator. So he has a certain amount of words he wants to tell me, but I have a certain amount of action I want to take. So I get the gist of what he's saying and I want to go work on that. Meanwhile, he's still talking and I'm like, I'll call you if I need you. I got it. <laughs> so, but it doesn't, it doesn't offend me the way it would if I hadn't understood why. Um, and that's, we can make jokes about it. You know, with somebody with communication, you make the joke about like land the plane. Tell me what you need to say because I'm on to the next. And so I think that's one thing that leaders, once they, whether they get, they get a framework around how does this person that I'm interacting operate? Because we literally see the, the world through different lenses and we don't even see the same things happening because of who we are and the way our talents interpret what we see. And so when we can put some framework around what someone else is seeing and why, that's when we start to have more productive conversations. When I know you're someone who needs context, I come into your office and I sit down and I say, in the beginning, there was light. And then there was this project. And this is how it evolved over time. And this is where we're headed. And the role I'd really like you to play, Doug, is X. That person then can be 
on with me versus me with futuristic activator. I'm looking down the road saying, okay, where we want to go and blah, blah, blah. But when I know you need the history, I can slow my roll and we can have that conversation. It will save me 30 minutes to three months of, I don't understand how we got here. What's the framework we're working in? Why are we doing this? Because I give you it up front. And so I really advocate for like, I've got a vet clinic, a small vet clinic in Nebraska that they have their employee strengths on their name tags. So it's a great conversation point with clients um, and they see it visibly throughout the day. Um, we, a lot of companies use their strengths or their predictive index placards just visibly, whether it's in the background of their Zoom or on their office door, because when we see them regularly, email signatures are a great place to add that. Because when we start to speak that language, it reminds us, I read that email. Why was she so, you know, abrasive? Well, she has command as one of her strengths and she just gets to the point. And so those are some of the things with small business that I find just make a tremendous difference. You know, all of that reminds me of uh, a little bit of a mantra that I've got that I uh, work with a lot of my business owners and executives on, is, and that is that if you've done a reasonable job in your hiring, and I know that's a big if, but if you have, in other words, you've, you've done a pretty good job of matching the fit with the person's abilities, um, they're going to do okay for you. They're going to want to do the right thing as an employee. But here's the kicker. As a leader, you've got to describe that to them. You have to lay down the guide rails. You have to tell them what success looks like and what a win might be like so that they can understand it. And as a manager leader, if you're not communicating those standards that person who wants to do right is fundamentally going to do nothing because they don't want to do anything wrong. So they're just going to mark time. Yeah. I think that's so, that's so applicable to the engagement space because the number one thing I've learned doing this work for the last 15 years is that expectations are everything. You know, what does a win like look like? That's an expectation. What outcomes do I want you aiming at? That's an expectation. You know, it, it applies not just at work, but I find all the time in my personal relationships, Unmet expectations are such the crux of many of our personal conflicts. Now, my mom's mother told her one time, you're not a very good friend to me. My mom goes, what are you talking about? Like, I arrange your housekeeper. I bring you flowers every week. I go above and beyond what I think is a good friend. She said, you never come on Sunday and have coffee and donuts with me. My mom's like, if you know anything about me, I don't ever sit still that long. So I guess that means I'm not a good daughter to you. But that was her expectation of what friendship looked like. And so expectations are everything at work and elsewhere. So I think that that highlights that truism beautifully. Well, not, not to get too far off down that trail, but it's funny you bring that up. I had a client earlier today who he actually brought up the, the notion of the book about love languages. Oh, you I know, have a whole recognition platform built on the love languages. We, you know, the premise of the book, if you listening and haven't heard about it before, the premise is there are five love languages and the way we receive affirmation and the sense of being loved comes in in a certain way. And we are naturally disposed to give it out that way when we're trying to give love to somebody. And, um, often that disconnects because you're speaking the wrong language. The person who maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a partner, you know, you're, you're trying to connect with. If you can't figure out how to talk their language, 
there's going to be a perpetual disconnect. And, and actually, from a management standpoint, the same exact thing holds true when you're trying to direct a team. It absolutely does. And that's where some of these talent profiles, you know, pick the one you like, come in really handy. One of the ones I've had a lot of success recently with is predictive index because they're very prescriptive about just like so many managers I run into, especially in small businesses are like, I want to do the right thing. Just tell me what to do. I'm like, all right, well, here's John. And this is exactly how you should manage John. They're like, got it. I'm on it. But it's, it's that specificity of how do I help this poor person thrive that often gets lost in a lot of these behavioral assessments. It's like, this person is a high D they're dominant in the disc language. Okay. So, so what, what do I do about that? And so they have a small business platform through predictive index that has the hiring, the onboarding, the interview process. Um, that's just a really good, tell me what to do really fast that I've been really happy with as, as a compliment to the employee engagement element. You know, you bring up that predictive indicator. That's one of the elements. Uh, I happen to be a fan of the Hogan suite of assessment tools. And what drew me to Hogan was the fact that there is a, that predictive element. It, it, it tells the leader, here's your personality profile, but because you are X, Y, and Z, you're going to show up this particular way to the people around you. And that's what gives you the so what value. Yes. It's one thing to learn, okay, I'm an introvert and I'm analytical, but so what, what are my blind spots? You know, what are my blind spots? How are people perceiving me and why do I have problems being a leader? Well, you know, the predictive indicators can help address some of those things and give you the opportunity to, uh, to work on them. Yeah. Uh, Another theme you, you kind of touched on, it's something I've, I've heard for a long time, and a, and a colleague of mine was a big advocate in his corporate days. He was an HR leader, and he tried to convince his company to shift the mission of HR to do nothing but work on managers. Oh. He said, if we could fix our managers, all our personnel problems will go away. And they never quite embraced that, but they got close and, and they did give him latitude on one big segment of the company that he had some jurisdiction over. And his, his theory actually started catching root and catching, uh, getting legs to, to make a difference. Yeah, there's a, a recent Gallup book out called It's the Manager. It's like, I don't know, 250 pages because that, you know, People join companies and leave managers. They they are the window and they they are the biggest impact. You're you're better off to have a good manager than a good doctor because of the impact they have on your health. It's just tremendous what impact that person has in, you know, are they a coach or are they a you know dictator? Big difference in your well-being. Can you with all of your experience, I'm really gonna put you on the spot on this one. Uh oh. Can you identify maybe the top three elements that employees are looking for in their manager? Just in your own humble opinion, what what do you think those three things might be? Uh, so clear expectations, no question. Um, collaboration around resources, making sure they have what they need. And that doesn't just mean, you know, two monitors when I work from home. Um, it's time with that manager. It's that respect of, you know, listening to my ideas. And the third is just that coaching element around 
helping me find the right fit for my talents so I can contribute in a meaningful way. And I'm in the probably two thirds of the way through this book, Punished by Rewards. I don't know if you've read it yet, but it's phenomenal. And it really is this, you know, taking a look at what do we do to our kids and our society? Rewards and and punishments and incentives are so built into everything we do that when we strip that away, we forget that people by nature want to be challenged. And so that coaching element of challenging you to bring your best self, not to do something that doesn't come naturally to you, but find your approach. So, you know, that when we think about what managers need to do for employees, it's managing by objectives rather than approach. I know you've got talent and I don't even know exactly what that is, Doug, but this is what I need you to accomplish. Go find your way. Don't do it Melissa's way. Find your path. And that frees people up to go, oh, I can use the super highways in my brain rather than trying to emulate the person who's come before me that's been successful. And that just shows an amazing amount of respect that gains managers a lot of loyalty. That makes a lot of sense. I um, <clears throat> I frequently have leaders ask me the question, how do I get better at giving feedback? Uh, I'm fundamentally not comfortable critiquing somebody. It just, it feels icky if I have to call somebody in and tell them the report they did is not good. I don't like doing that. And <clears throat> what I typically, <clears throat> excuse me, what I typically ask them, is can you turn that moment into a coaching moment rather than just a critiquing moment? Can you talk to them about the piece of work and ask them to walk back through their thought process, the resources they did use, you know, who did you talk to, who did you ask? Um, just kind of walk through the same process that the manager would have done if they had been the one doing the work. Um, and basically kind of coach the employee to deeper, broader uh, line of sight on how the work could have been better. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, how, how do you see things like that playing out from, from the employee's perspective? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, and I've been in an um, entrepreneur's group called EO, Entrepreneur's Organization. Um, and one of the premises of our interactions is the gestalt mindset, which is basically you can't give advice and you can't finish any, you couldn't, can't say anything that you could finish with you idiot. And that applies really well to management and employees, right? It's like the reason we have advice is because we've experienced things. And when you can dig deeper and find, you know, this reminds me of a time when I, you know, this happened to me and this is what I learned from it. And then that, that person can take, that coaching moment and that ex, that ad, that adventure or <laughs> misadventure and take what they can from it. And really, we, we value coaches in sports so highly, but we don't transition that to where it needs to live every day, which is in every one of our interactions, right? In our, in our workplaces, we don't spend enough time teaching people to be good coaches and to give that feedback around, you know, and I think that's what it really is, is what asking those good questions rather than just telling someone you idiot, you should have done it this way. Right. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, you know, I, along that line, I think back to what you said in the first half of the show here, you were talking about the dynamic in NHR of the, um, 
you know, the traditional HR people that are about hiring, firing, and compliance, compensation and such, and then the uh, true talent management person. I had an engagement a number of years ago where we were asked to come in as coaches and coach the HR people about becoming coaches. So to the extent they would go out into their work teams for the company and become business partners for the managers and do that more in a coaching mode than an administrator mode. So if an if a manager said, I've got a problem with employee Jane Doe, this HR business partner would come in and not have the checklist to check the boxes, you know, what have you considered, what have you done, but they would rather turn it into that kind of coaching and development moment. Yes. And when we showed them how to coach through things, it, it was kind of like that mind-blown sort of moment for them. I mean, I can do that. I can. <laughs> I, can I, I mean, can. I don't have to solve the same problem 17 times. I could spend the time to solve it once and then my employee's off to the races. Yeah. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's yeah. Right. It's. I think we have a long way to go in the HR space around sophistication of our craft. I think a lot of times people can default to HR. It seems like a place that, you know, I can understand the parameters. I can do the work. But when it becomes an art form and when we start to be assets to the business as business partners that way that you're describing, it just takes on a whole new respect for for the role. And I think we have some work to do in coaching people because a lot of times you can't be an effective HR partner, business partner until you've worked in the business. You can't just come straight up through the ranks of HR because you don't have the street cred. That's right. That's so important. Well, Melissa, I think our time is about up and this has been a pleasure having you on. Um, tell us how people can get a hold of you directly. Uh, LinkedIn Melissa Ortiz um, or Activate Human Capital Group. ActivateHCG.com is our website. Excuse me. So thank you uh, for having me. This is delightful. Yeah, so much. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us. Folks, you can uh, reach us on the web and you'll see the links at the end of the show here. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, everyone. This has been Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. For more information, visit us on the web at DougThorpe.com.